Lord, this, this generation couldn't handle the kind of parents I had. Amen? I'm telling you, if you... you and it, and it didn't say, it didn't take saying a word. All daddy had to do was look at us. How many knows to look? Yes. So I, so don't get, get excited, amen. I want to help you. First John chapter number 5 and verse number 6 tonight. Page 1325. Notes are up here. And, um, First John chapter 5. I sometimes think that especially from about or oh, somewhere around nine, ten years of age, we start displaying to the world kind of adult we're going to be. We start putting on display. The trees are about nine or ten, they start acting crazy and doing crazy stuff. If I can get you here when you're nine or ten, up until you're around eighteen, it'd be amazing what God could do for your life. And um, trust me, you're you're now before before that time when you're Seven or eight, nobody pays a bit of attention to you. You don't, you don't have any, you know, you're just a dumb kid. <laughs> nobody paid attention to you at all. But about nine or ten, people start looking, start watching. I'm thankful for some old people, especially a dear lady by the name of Mrs. Hall. Mrs. Hall always looked a hundred years old, always. And I remember her. Uh, I worked in uh, in a lunchroom. Two reasons: I got my lunch free, and I could get all I wanted to eat. That's two good reasons. And um, I was too short for any kind of athlete. And you know, they wouldn't let me play ball with them. So anyway, so I, I eat anyway. Running uh, around with somebody, and she would say, "Now listen, young man." Gonna get you in trouble. Now you quit that. Now, I thank God for the kind of parent. I'd be home and crying to Daddy. He said, "You ain't gonna be able to do something." Daddy wouldn't went over and said nothing to her. He said, "Okay, in the back room, let's talk about it." You didn't want to go in the back room. I want a good place to go. Well, he'd say, "Well, what if she said do you do it?" And so. Um, if you'll get that, we're happy. First John chapter five, verse six. Let's all stand together. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water alone, but by water and blood. It is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven: Father, the Word, the Holy Ghost. And these three agree in one. We receive the witness of men. The witness of God is greater. For this is a witness of God which hath testified of His Son. Putting Jesus on trial. Heavenly Father, would you help us for a little while? I know it's your word. 
Give us the attention of this people for just a little while that we might reach their hearts. Dear Lord, I pray God do it accomplish your goodwill tonight, remembering all the special needs in the congregation. In Jesus' name, amen. We said last week that from chapter 5 is the end of the book test. We've said that there's four tests given in chapter 5. First test was last week being born again. I mean, born again. Know that you're saved. Know that you're saved with God's grace. Praise God. It's good to be saved. The second test is this, is believing the witness. Believing the witness. The great thing of 1 John is this, is knowing that we may know that we have eternal life. Verse 13, these things have are written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. What a tragedy is going to be. Those and even perhaps some that raised their hand. Yes, I know that I'm saved tonight. But come to the end of this thing. And Jesus say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I don't know you. Would that not be terrible? Would that not? No wonder they'll be screaming and, and crying and wailing. Because all the time you were deceived. Real Christians are not afraid to say we know. As a matter of fact, the word no is found 39 times in 1 John. Eight times in this closing chapter. And men has a, has a deep desire for certainty. Men, men likes to know, uh, even to the point of looking to the occult for it. A businessman was having dinner with his pastor, and he said, you, you see them offices over there? He said, that some of the most influential business leaders in this town are in those offices. And he said, for years in this building was a um, fortune teller. And he said, it was absolutely amazing how many of them walked over here at lunch to meet with her during the day for their fortune to be told. Because men like certainty. And the life that is built on divine certainties always going to be found in Jesus Christ. Apart from that, there's not... Now there's five certainties in this chapter. They're not in the notes, so if you want to write them down, you can. Number one, Jesus is God, verses 6 through 10. Number two, believers have eternal life. 11 through 13. Praise God. It's the only life He's got to give is eternal life. Number three, God answers prayer. Verse 14 and 15. Christians, don't you listen to me now, genuine, born-again Christians do not practice sin. I want you to listen to it. I didn't say that they didn't sin. 
I didn't say we live in perfection. Verse 16 through 19, I said this. They don't practice sin. Number five. The Christian life is the only real life. Verse 20 and 21. Now the world accuses the Christian of being proud and dogmatic because we say we keep saying, I know. But you know what? I do know. <laughs> Whether it's proud or it's one of we 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 come up with it. Praise God, I do know that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I do know I have eternal life. I know these things. Now, but we find in the passage that there come up a question. And it was a question then, and it's a question now. Here's the question. Is Jesus Christ really the Son of God? Is Jesus Christ really the Savior of men? Is Jesus Christ truly the Messiah? Is Jesus Christ truly the one we're to be looking for? And John answers that. Now, there's some very strong witnesses that literally declare, yes, he's everything he said he would be. But if we don't accept him to be the true and the living God, then if we, if we accept that, if we believe, if we, if we accept the, the truth, that he is the true and living God, then men and women are without excuse. And that's the great challenge. It's the task of men to receive the testimonies, the witnesses. It's also the task of men to trust the testimony about His Son, about the Lord, about Jesus Christ. There, there, were, there were two great trials that were called the trials of the century. Uh, some of you no doubt know this. One was the Lindbergh trial. Kidnapping murder of his son and uh, the famous aviator Charles Lindbergh in 1932. The, the dude they called was, was named Bruno and he was convicted and executed on April the 3rd, 1936. It was, it was, it was deemed one of the trials of the century. Second one, was very interesting. I'd never heard this one. It was called the Monkey Trial or the Scope Trial of 1925, July 1925. It was literally this, that in Dayton, Tennessee, the issue was uh, the constitutional right of the Butler Law which prohibited the teaching of evolution in the classroom. They tell you wanting to use this monkey trial to, to literally discredit fundamentalism and literally attack Christianity and they wanted to use this. But now I love this. Judge John Ralston began the trial by reading 
the first 27 verses of Genesis. I love that. And as a matter of fact, it was counted as one of the trials of the century. Let me just say this. The trial of the ages, beyond a doubt, has been the trial of Jesus Christ. And still is. And still is. From John's day to now, the authenticity, the validity of his claims come and men have argued down through the years. And Alexandria, a man by the name of, of Arius, boldly proclaimed that Jesus Christ was just a mere creature. Now they said he wasn't an ordinary creature. One thing for sure and certain, he was somewhere between a creator and a creature. One thing for certain, he was God. And so it became one of the great trials. And he was not only to godly men raised up, what's called the Nicene Creed, and literally proclaimed that Jesus was in fact the, the Christ. John here says though, Let's take it to court. Court in session. John said, take it to court. I was to ask some of you what I was talking about before I did that. Could you have told me? I love our church to no end. And and this is our Wednesday night crowd. There's one thing I'm going to get this year. I'm going to help you to do is... When we come to church, that we're here, that we're not on cell phones, we're not on texting, we're not doing, we're not, our minds not forty miles away, one way or another. I, I, I do every service if I have to. It don't bother me. I knew it's coming. Woke some of you up. I'm sorry. But when we look in verses six through nine, it's a courtroom scene. And what he does is he said, "Okay, let's bring some witnesses." So first of all, there was the assembling of the evidence. John begins the trial by calling certain witnesses to testify. The word witness means to, to give, uh, speak of someone or to testify on someone's account. The word record in verse 7 means exactly the same thing. In this case, the witnesses was going to be called uh, who personally know the Lord Jesus familiar with certain events, and come to give a testimony to those events and facts. So first of all, human testimonies. It's all the human ones. And we receive the witness of men. What men there? John refers to the apostles who had walked with him, talked with him, and they made certain claims to his deity. And uh, I love this. So John says, let's bring them up. Okay? First of all, he said, Dr. Luke, Dr. Luke would you testify? He says, I- I'll be glad to. Even as they delivered them and us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses, and ministers of the Word. He said, we saw him as he walked up and down the streets. 
We saw him. She opened blinded eyes and, and lame were made to... We saw him as the dead was raised. We saw him that when he stepped in the middle of a funeral, it stopped. John, we appreciate that. Would you step down? Okay. Second witness. Peter, would you come on up? Yes, sir. Peter said, Well, kind of happened like this. When they was walking with Jesus, and he looked and he said, Whom do men say I, the Son of Man, am? Who? Who's everybody say I am? And Peter said, I stood up and said, When I, Jesus, as some says you're John the Baptist, some says you're Elias or Elijah, others say you're Jeremiah or Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But then, Judge, he'd he done something we weren't expecting. He turned. He looked, he said, But who do you say that I am? I wonder tonight if Jesus were to on the scene. And the question was asked by Jesus to you personally. But whom say ye that I am? Look this way. Look this way. By whom say ye that I am? If Jesus would ask you, what would you say? Would you stutter? Would you say, well, uh, uh, I, I, I think First John's all about knowing. Thinking won't get it done. I love this. Peter said, with all the sincerity I could, so I looked at him and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Whoa, man, what an answer. Here tonight, we, you and I, we witness to the reality of Jesus every day of our life. We tell the world, who he is, what he is. We tell the world if he's a great enough God to fill all of our needs. But then when we complain, we tell the world he's really not much of a God. After all, he can't do this, he can't do that, he can't fix this, he can't correct, he can't do this, he can't do, do nothing. And yet, when we're done, we'll say, won't you come to church with me? And they may not say it out of courtesy, but what they are thinking is this. Why? I'm watching your witness. I'm watching your life. Young people, the school's watching your life every day. And they're looking to see if you know Jesus or if you don't. I I, I love this. There's a handful. There's a few. Very few. Young men with enough backbone about them to know enough, to believe enough about the God 
to live differently in a schoolroom. But I'm telling you, there's few, very few. There's a few ladies, young ladies. There are a few. There are a few. Praise God for a few. Amen? That, that, that will, will carry them, will live right, do right, not because they have to, because they want to. We see the human witnesses. But then I see something else. Not only the human bring the heavenly witnesses in. I might use that every service. I'm liking that. Make sure it ain't dip up my, my thing. Heavenly witnesses. There are three that bear witness in record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. I'm the honest. I, I was baffled. Why would they call the Father to testify in this? I, I like these crime shows, you know. Uh, you may not. I do. FBI files. That kind of, I like crime shows. And uh, I, I was pondering this, and I was just watching one of them shows, and, and uh, I, I noticed something he caught attention. That this dude, and they wanted to try to get him uh, put away, and they wanted a DNA sample. And what they was going to do with that DNA sample, they could determine his guilt or his innocence. So they go to him and say, we need a DNA sample. We, we, we found some, some, some DNA in this crime scene. Give us a DNA sample and we can, can free you and loose you. Of course, he said, no, I ain't doing that because he's guilty. Why would God be called? Because of the marvel of DNA. Humans have 23 pairs of chromosomes containing the DNA blueprint. And in that blueprint is encoded all the instructions to run your body. And one member of the chromosomes comes from the mother, one member comes from the father. And by our DNA, I can prove if that kid you have is yours or someone else's. But I stand amazed at this. Last few days, some of you, Matthew has a picture on his phone now when he was a baby and Aslan is beside of him and it is scary how much they look alike. Let's pray something changes before she gets older. All right. And, and she looks just like him. Someone was, was showing a picture of, their, of their, their daughter. And I'm honest with you. Immediately I said, oh my gosh. You look. She looks like her daddy. It's amazing. DNA. DNA. Why is Father called to testify? Because I want you to know something. The Father's a witness to who about Jesus Christ. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Not only that, we see the assembling of the evidence. Not only the earthly evidence, but there is eternal evidence. Number two, not only the assembling of the evidence, but number two, there's the agreement of the evidence. And there are three that bear witness in earth. The spirit and the water and the blood and these three 
agree in one. There is no, there is no conflict, no contradictory evidence that defense attorney would lose his job here. He cannot combat anything because all the evidence agrees alike. What is the evidence they give? Number one, he said, first, there's the water. Takes us all the way back. It's one day John's a baptizing. And he looks, he says, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. Jesus walks up. He says, Now, John, I want to get in line here. Won't you baptize me? John says, Lord, I, I, I'm not even worthy to unlight your shoes. I, I don't need to be baptizing. You need to be baptizing me. He said, No. He said, I want you to baptize me, John. And the Bible says when God put him over, there was a witness that came out of that water like a dove and the, and the, and the heavens opened and the, and the Lord began to speak. That's what Matthew 3 says about it. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I need to be baptized of thee. And comest thou to me? Jesus answered and said, him, Suffer it to be so now. For thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. Then Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descend like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Praise God. Isn't that good? Not only was it a verbal evidence, but notice, second, the blood. That takes us to the cross. And we find there, Jesus, again, let's just listen to Matthew. And when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Behold, the veil of the temple was rent, twain from the top, and from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake, and rocks ran, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, went to the holy city, and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion, and they that were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake, and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Not only was there a verbal evidence from the Father, there's a visible evidence. God shook this world at the cross. So we find here that there is this undeniable evidence, but then there's unimpeachable evidence, which simply means this. God cannot lie. If you get a hold of this, it'll be one of the greatest truths you ever heard. Titus said, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Here's what he said. It's more than he will not lie. That's not what he said. He said he cannot lie. 
How many of you? The time that God saved you, you bowed around an altar and in a trough. I don't care where you was at. I'm curious up a tree. God will save you anywhere. But you said, God, according to your word, you said, if I would just come, repent of my sins, God be merciful to me, a sinner, and ask you to save me. According to your word, you said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And God, you bowed your head and said, God be merciful to me, a sinner, save me. How many done something like that? Not maybe an exact word, but something like that. Okay, I'm going to tell you, let, let me help you. When the devil comes to you and says, Are you sure you're saved? Can I ask you a question? Why would you want to call God a liar? Why would you not want to call God a liar? If God said He'd do what He said He would do in His Word, when we doubt our salvation, and there's some Christians are just haunted with this thing. It's just they can't do nothing for God. They're never committed. They can never accomplish nothing. They're spinning in a circle like a pop, just doing nothing for God because they cannot get it settled about salvation. If you've done that and you believed in all your heart that Jesus died for you and the Holy Ghost of God convicted you of your sin and you bowed and asked Him, can I say this? You're calling Him a liar when you say He didn't do what He said He would do. And I think we'll just quit calling God a liar. You know why? Because He cannot lie. It's more than He will not lie. He cannot lie. We often hear court cases where attorneys try to discredit the testimony of the witness by bringing things up in the past or the kind of life they live. I'll tell you this much. You just go back to his past. You won't find Jesus crawling out of some woman's house to the window. You check his past. You won't find him sinning just check his past. It's without, without blemish. My goodness, tonight. So I see the assembling of the evidence. I see the, agree, the agreement of the evidence. But then I see something else. I see the affirmation of the evidence. The witnesses are called and the evidence is presented. But what does it affirm? What does it settle? Well, it settles this. The evidence displays and removes any doubt as to who Jesus is. He is, He is the Son of God. The witnesses of this book, the heavenly witnesses, prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is everything He stated Himself to be. Your life will never be greater than what you believe about that. How many of you know that this same Jesus that loved you so much, that He died for you, that God has given all power to Him? How many of you know that? All power. How many of you know but at the great beam of seat of Christ, we will stand not from in front of Jesus 
loving Savior, but as our judge. I need you to understand that. If you don't understand it, you need to understand that. He will be our judge. I remember Eddie telling me one time about one of his friends went to court. And the judge, and the judge sentenced him. And, and the young man said, Well, judge, I, I just don't think that's fair. And the judge, listen, he said, Young man, I'm the judge here, and I can do whatever I want to do. And I can give you a lot more than that. And I just thought it was fair. There will be a day that every one of us will stand and give an account to this judge for what we've done, how we've done, and what we've done with our life. Now, if we believe Jesus to be who He is, then that ought to be the motive of us doing and living and knowing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that one day we will give an account. I'm a little bit... I get a little concerned... And this is maybe more of the, the message I've been working on this week, and it's really challenged my own heart tremendously. What book do you think he's got from? I mean, he's got your Bible. Well, you're looking at it. Don't judge you from that book. Because this is not just a book, it's God's Word. And let me tell you what burdens me as a pastor is that I constantly see God's people go contrary to what God said in His Word. And that seems to be okay with them. That seems to be all right. And it burdens me because I know one day it's not going to be all right. I know one day God's going to hold them accountable. And gentlemen, that's all the men. I'm not sure we're not going to be held more accountable than anyone else. The more I study this thing, the more I study this thing, the more I see it's it's not Darlene's responsibility. When the girls were home, it's, it was not their responsibility. Now that i got grandchildren, it's not their responsibility. But that responsibility falls to my shoulder to be the one to lead my family to knowing who Jesus Christ is. That's, that's challenging. And... Um, if, if Jesus is everything He says He is, that's, that's challenging. And I, I feel that we're, we, we're so out of order. And again, what the message I got Sunday. I can't wait till Sunday gets here to preach it. Just stay another hour and I'll preach it to you. I can do it. Because it's very real in my own heart in a sense that we, we, we have so destroyed the order of things. And it's, it's, my daddy used to work on a little car. 
And, and, and I, I used to know the numbers by heart. Jimmy Ramsey back there, I might know him by heart. But on those Chevrolet, the firing order was A, such, 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 such. And if you didn't wire that thing by that order, it would backfire and pop and when I do power, when lunch moved, just 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 every which way. Because you had to be wired right and in order to fire right. Oh my goodness, church. I see a lot of families puttering, backfiring. Won't not be good, won't run good. Because the order is so out of order. And, and it's... Uh, but Jesus is who He says He is. And all that He says He is. And how much that ought to motivate us to want to love Him and serve Him and give Him our very best. Not because we have to, but because we want to. So I'll stand to a feet. Every head bowed, never eye closed.